0: Corey Clipston is the co-founder of Swan Bitcoin, as well as a Bitcoin angel investor and a Bitcoin educator. We had a wide-ranging conversation that started off with Corey's work at Swan Bitcoin and got into the lightning work that Corey is doing. We got into startup investing. We got into the macroeconomic picture, educating Bitcoiners, and much more. As always, this is a lightning podcast, so the best way that you guys can show your appreciation and support for the show is by sending in sats. Over the lightning network you can also send in comments and questions with those sats and i read off all of them at the end of the show in the lightning round now quick shout out before we get into the episode today's show is sponsored by voltage the industry standard and next generation provider for lightning network infrastructure we will have more for voltage later in the show in the lightning round hope you enjoy the episode corey thank you so much for joining me today I've, i'm really excited to talk about all sorts of bitcoin related topics with you um, you've been a very influential figure in the Bitcoin space, a Bitcoin advocate for many years. Um, but maybe, maybe we'll step back a bit and start with your, your history and first getting into Bitcoin and why you decided to start Swan Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, sure. So I uh, used to work for really big companies like uh, Microsoft, Morgan Stanley, uh, McKinsey, Google. Um, I started getting into startups. Uh, when I was at Google. So I started advising startups, cutting angel checks, and kind of getting involved with uh, Google's Entrepreneurship Week stuff and, and just trying to get my feet wet in kind of the Silicon Valley ecosystem. Uh, I moved from Chicago to Los Angeles to be closer to the startup world. Uh, Wifey was not down with the weather in San Francisco, so L.A. Was, was good enough. Ended up being the right choice, as I found out half the VCs actually live down here and just keep their uh, 650 and 415 numbers. So it's, it's kind of the best of both worlds if you're down in SoCal. Um, so I've been doing that kind of you know, startup-y investing, advising, operating thing for a decade now. And that was cleaved into by uh, getting into Bitcoin in in the last bull run. So all the noise about the price run up in 2017 caught my attention. Like a lot of people, especially if you're coming from kind of startup techie land, I got confused by all the VCs talking about ICOs and tokens. And I mean, I have like a super embarrassing like 40 or 50 page fund thesis about friction tokens that I was gonna launch you know, with late stage Silicon Valley marketplaces. And, uh, you know, I just didn't understand what I was getting into. Um, that bubble in my brain started to burst toward the end of 2017, uh, just meeting some Bitcoiners that were starting to explain to me kind of what was what was really going on with, with the crypto stuff. And by March, April of 2018, I realized I wanted to focus on only Bitcoin and didn't want to read any crypto white papers or do any, anything in that space anymore. Uh, stopped trading and trying to punt (laughs) shit coins on Binance and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, just been trying to work in Bitcoin ever since, I guess that's, uh, wow. Is it 2022? I guess it's about four years trying to do something exclusively in Bitcoin. Um, had the idea for what's become Swan in spring of 2019, started the company in June of 2019, launched Swan, Swan Bitcoin, uh, right at the end of March. So it was actually, uh, exactly two years ago uh, in 2020. So yeah, that was really it. I think the, the, the insight was that the marketing for a Bitcoin company, at least one that I ran, would have to be purely education focused. And that was something that I was passionate about and it would let us really leverage some of my experience in media. Done a lot of work in, in media over the years and actually was a, a really crappy NBC TV reporter in the late 90s before, uh, before going to work for Microsoft. So I have some experience and stayed, stayed close to kind of how the media world works and did some YouTube strategy work at Google and, and worked with a bunch of video startups uh, post-Google. So I've always kind of watched that and been appreciative of, of media as marketing. And not actually having ad budgets and just spending that on staff salaries for people to create content that you own and can kind of control the the distribution of that and syndicate that content out to other people. And so that's basically what we've built, you know. I, I think for a long time it was probably over half the staff at Swan. Now the engineers and the business people have caught up and you know, probably the, the content creation education team is probably about a third of the staff, but it's still significant. It's probably almost twenty people that are still working on content basically every day.
0: Very cool. Um, What is it that motivates you specifically to work on Bitcoin every day? Because you've been doing this now for a few years. You've been, you know, pushing forward this, this idea that people need to understand what Bitcoin is, helping educate people. What is it that gets you up every morning? Why do you why do you continue to focus exclusively on Bitcoin today? I mean, I don't know what else you could possibly want to work
1: on. It's the most exciting thing that's happened in many generations really i mean i i'd have to go back toward probably like the the harnessing of energy at an industrial scale in the 1800s to find something kind of this big um as far as what it can do i mean i guess you know the computing revolution is, is similar but uh you know this this just cuts across so many different areas it's not just technology it's also money it's also politics it's economics it's history it's like it's literally everything so whatever you're interested in, uh, that field affects Bitcoin and is affected by Bitcoin. And so kind of from an intellectual curiosity standpoint, it's endlessly fascinating and everything is sort of about Bitcoin in one way or another and Bitcoin is kind of about everything.
0: Right, and, and so with Swan, your focus here is on helping people save Bitcoin, help dollar cost average into Bitcoin. Um,
1: that's the that's- first product so that- that, oh, yeah. that, that was the first product that we launched with in 2020, obviously, and it's great to be rather be known for something than nothing. Um, but, you know, it's probably about 20 percent of our sales is automatic recurring purchase plans. We also have clients that, you know, have bought one hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin through us. Um, so we have a whole Swan private client service division with, you know, some of the most renowned experts in the world, like Stefan Levera, actually having one on one conversations with high net worth individuals, family offices and corporations around the world. Uh, We serve more than 100 countries. Uh, We've actually had purchases from over 70 countries, uh, which is pretty fascinating. Um, You know, and that business is actually larger outside the U.S. than inside the U.S. Um, You know, and I think also the the advisor services business that we're launching in April, which Andy Edstrom runs, the the author of uh, Why Buy Bitcoin, um, you know, that has the potential to be larger than everything else that we do, which is pretty cool. So I think uh, you know Swan Private Client services is just slightly larger than our retail business and I think advisor services could end up being bigger than both of them. And then I think you know four years from now, as Bitcoin makes a transition into being a more widely used medium of exchange, some of the things that we're building on lightning and around payments and around value for value and things like that it's very possible that that all ends up dwarfing everything we ever did selling bitcoin
0: right yeah that, that was kind of what i was thinking is like so much of what you're doing today is is focused around the idea of buying it and saving in it and mm-hmm. and that's like obviously a, a huge use case for bitcoin today I, yep. i'm thinking about like where where does this lead for you guys are you, are you I know you're doing a bit with uh, the Bitcoin benefits plan, and you're yeah. helping people then earn Bitcoin uh, as as part of a salary. Um, and you mentioned medium of exchange and Lightning. Like, if you can break these down to different buckets, how how important do you think these different segments are going to be over time? Do you think that you know helping people earn salaries in Bitcoin? Do you think that will become a meaningful contributor to to Swan's business? Um would love to know if there's any other segments that you think are, are yet to be tapped into, but will be meaningful in the future.
1: Yeah, I mean, generally, you just I think you just want to kind of chart your company's path to take advantage of the stage of monetization of the asset that we're in. So we're still early in Bitcoin as a store of value and we're extremely early in sort of global adoption of Bitcoin as a medium of exchange. And so it makes a lot of sense to have, uh, most of your company focused on the next, you know, 20 years of fiat moving into Bitcoin and other assets being sold and converted into, into BTC and also place some bets and be kind of an early player, uh, and an early creative force, uh, kind of getting your seat at the table as medium of exchange starts to take off, Mm -hmm. but it's a minuscule number of people globally buying Bitcoin, <laughs> an even smaller number that are actually spending it.
0: Right. That makes sense. Now, one of the programs you guys recently launched or one of the partnerships uh, is with Compton Magic. Can you, can you speak yeah. to it a bit about how that partnership works today and whether or not we can expect to see more similar partnerships happening mm-hmm. in the world of sports or in the world of entertainment or, or in any other kind of sphere of the economy um, moving forward?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the Bitcoin benefit plan is really simple. It just basically lets a a company uh, give some Bitcoin to each of their employees every month as a fringe benefit. So instead of a, a spa day or a gym membership, Or whatever else you might give them, transportation bonus, you can add this into the mix of your benefits for employee retention, morale, have a conversation about sound money and sort of the value of working hard. And, you know, a a Bitcoiner is generally a better worker than than a non Bitcoiner because you're sort of low time preference and you start to develop an affinity for truth and honor and long term thinking. And, uh, you know, so it probably makes a lot of sense to try to orange pill your work staff. Anyway, so it's working great. Uh, March is the first month, got a couple dozen companies on it. I think we'll have hundreds and then thousands of companies doing this over time. Um, it, yeah, you mentioned uh, the Compton Magic. So they're an AAU basketball team, one of the best known. They've had uh, two top 10 lottery picks, I think a number three and a number six, or a number two and a number six draft pick in the last couple drafts. Um, basically we've been friends with them for a while through a director who made a movie first about the magic and then about their coach and CEO, uh, Tope is his name. And, um, I participated in some of the marketing around the launch of the second movie that's called Lynch pen. And we just became friendly and he's getting pretty orange pilled after talking to me and doing some research and the director's a big Bitcoin fan and a big Swan fan. So he's kind of been in the guy's ear. And then, um, There's been this change of uh, allowing amateur athletes to be compensated. The name image image license name image likeness rights uh, over the past couple of years, and that's rolling out. And so they can actually do things like this now. And so, yeah, he's basically we've created an educational program to teach all the players and employees of the Compton Magic about Bitcoin while the company actually buys a little bit of Bitcoin for
0: them each month. love it. What are, yeah. what are the steps required to get to the point where we see like an NBA team have everyone's salary based in Bitcoin or, or the option to have a salary in Bitcoin?
1: I mean, I think they have the option today. That's never been something that had to come from the team. Like what you, what you get paid in doesn't matter. What you store it in is what really matters. Right. Mm. So any of these athletes that have said I'm getting paid in Bitcoin, like the team has never once actually paid... Russell or Saquon or any of these guys in Bitcoin, they just open up a bank account at Prime Trust. They get some of their salary wired or or ACH, whatever, into that bank account. And then it's converted into Bitcoin at their Prime Trust account. Prime Trust is the back end for both Strike and for Swan. So that's just basically what it works. So we have, I mean, shit, we have tens of thousands of people getting paid in Bitcoin the exact same way. They're dollars go into their account at Prime Trust and gets converted into Bitcoin. And it can be their whole salary or some of their salary. That's literally what automatic recurring purchases are.
0: Mm. Now, so you we've think, been using like the we, get
1: paid in Bitcoin hashtag for two years.
0: Yeah. Do you think that eventually we get to a point where the employers are just directly allowing people to earn in Bitcoin and not having to go through? Fiat They'd have to, to be
1: storing their value in Bitcoin. They'd have to have a Bitcoin denominated balance sheet. So when is Ooh. that going to happen? That's going to happen when Bitcoin market cap is like, you know, hundred to $200 trillion, Or right. Until then, in do the US any- anyway, it'll be dollar denominated for a few more decades, I would
0: say. Interesting. So do you, do you think there's any companies now that have that like MicroStrategy has uh, a Bitcoin denominated balance sheet? Are they at a stage where they could then say to employees, Hey, anyone who wants to get paid in Bitcoin, we can do that? They don't have a Bitcoin denominated balance sheet. That is not their unit of account.
1: Their unit of account is dollars. And they pay their employees in dollars. Mm. They have a lot of and Bitcoin so got- on their balance sheet, but it's an asset that they hold in reserve. It's not, I mean, their accounting and everything that they turn into the IRS is obviously US dollar denominated.
0: Yeah. And so I guess you got to wait until the accounting catches up and until you get to the point where everyone can denominated Mm -hmm. everything in Bitcoin before employees can earn Bitcoin? No, I mean, we pay we pay
1: employees in Bitcoin, I'd say, you know, maybe a quarter of our staff takes their pay in Bitcoin, something like that. Um, A lot of our people outside the US prefer to just get paid in Bitcoin. Right. It's just easier so than traditional. It's just articles. easier than, yeah, dealing with bank accounts and all that crap. So they're just a contractor to us. And, you know, they're a 1099 employee as far as our taxes in the US. And we just send them Bitcoin and we record the dollar value of the Bitcoin at the time we sent it.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, OK, so so what do you think then if, if we're looking out the next few decades and we're thinking mm-hmm. about Bitcoin adoption and what those like milestones are, To get to the point where everyone is using Bitcoin as a unit of account. What do you think the biggest constraints are today limiting Bitcoin adoption? Low price. Okay. (laughs) You think and it's market
1: cap based. It just needs more value in it. Like it makes here's here's the deal. So the number of people that want to spend Bitcoin today is basically the cohort of people who had conviction eight to ten years ago and put a lot of money in like 2011 through 2014 or 15 and they have enough of their net worth like 95 to 99 percent of their net worth in bitcoin to the point that they're actually interested there's actually consumer demand among that cohort to be able to spend bitcoin around the world and so that's who you see Mm -hmm. outside of you know people who work in the industry and are kind of you know lightning hobbyists just like people tinkering with motherboards in the 70s Outside of those people and the very few people in that early cohort that are now Bitcoin rich, nobody else needs to spend Bitcoin in in the Western world, developed world, where you have credit cards and things like that. Obviously, we're seeing a blooming of use cases um, for Bitcoin as medium of exchange in places where the you know people are unbanked and it actually. You know, you're seeing some nibbles there, and I think that's really exciting. And obviously, I invest in a bunch of startups that do kind of the developed world stuff. But in the West and kind of where, where Swan's business is focused, it's just not a big market yet. What I'm really interested right. in and why I'm trying to chart a path for Swan and why we're adding a Lightning Wallet into, you know, not just not just our own app, but also doing a, you know, straight from bank account to balance on Lightning for like the Fountain app, a couple of the other V4V podcast apps, and a bunch of other, you know, Bitcoin and non-Bitcoin sites and apps and services um, with APIs and SDKs is we think that that next cohort, call it like the 2016 to 2018 cohort, a lot of those people end up wanting to spend Bitcoin by like 2025, 2026, and I think you want to have a very established brand, a really creative team with a lot of capabilities and a lot of creativity to build, take lots of swings at different medium of exchange use cases, product services to serve that much larger cohort that's coming through uh, in a few years. So that's why Mm -hmm. we're placing some bets there. We call it, you know, Swan Labs or Bitcoiner Labs or something like that and and start playing with a lot of that stuff.
0: Now, what are your thoughts on like, I I get the idea of spending Bitcoin. What about the Ability for Swan to, to create products around earning Bitcoin, like natively, mm-hmm. like through, you see some of the, the value for value stuff taking off right now. Yeah. Uh, people are able to earn small amounts of sats for doing various tasks or for sharing content. Is there any, any opportunity there for Swan, do you think, to, to help people earn Bitcoin mm-hmm. without ever having to buy any or without ever having to, you know, uh, even have a full time job and just being able to like earn natively through the internet? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're working very
1: closely with the the value for value podcast apps uh, with Adam Curry and in the, in the podcast index and Dave Jones and all those guys and enabling people to charge their wallets up really easily. And, you know, getting we're actually seeding people with their first five or 10 bucks of, uh, you know, lightning sats when they download these apps, that's, that's the plan so that people can kind of download the app, have never used Bitcoin before, and they've got a balance that they can start spending and boosting and then make it super easy to, to top that up and charge it up again and and keep listening and and supporting the content creators that you love. Um, Obviously Zebedee is doing a lot of awesome stuff in this space and our whole team is very close with them. Um, I think there's a lot, a lot of room to run for those guys um, across gaming. And, you know, I think, uh, So there are already a few use cases where, you know, Bitcoin is the best medium of exchange possible for selected use cases. And that's how it starts. Once there's one that's a zero to one moment, and now we will see an explosion of creativity over the next few years where uh, the number of use cases multiplies. and. We right. will, we'll just see that dramatically. I mean I, I always I already think of like I already have startup ideas from that I, you know, maybe have been working on. I think of one I was working on like three years ago and one I was working on about five years ago. And both of them remain great ideas and both of them are actually better with Bitcoin. Like one of them is dramatic, a dramatically larger idea because of Bitcoin and being able to use Bitcoin as the payment rails and the medium of exchange in the marketplace, essentially. Um, and so, you know, we're we're launching. Uh you know, we've got Bitcoiner jobs that obviously is a, a big marketplace for for people to find work and you know, Cash App is on there and River and Strike and Unchained, like it's <laughs> we're hands off. Like Swan's jobs are on there too, but like that's just a community resource but you you think about uh services so people actually posting um you know gigs that they want to perform but not go work for somebody but actually want to sell you know accounting services or personal training or something like that like that's an interesting marketplace that could be made better and made global through the integration of of payments with bitcoin and think about like escrow and kind of all the different ways and you know, mediation and ratings, like you could actually make a really robust services marketplace uh, that I think would be better with Bitcoin, significantly better with Bitcoin than with fiat.
0: Right, kind of replacing like a Fiverr or an Upwork and being able to do basically any task and even tasks that can't be supported by that, right? You could do like, I I think there's a site, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a site where you can like earn sats for following people on Twitter. And it's like you earn like five sats or something. But it works and you can do that on Bitcoin, but you can't do it on fiat. Um, OK, I want to I want to get your thoughts on one more question uh, regards in regards to Bitcoin's price, because you mentioned that was the biggest constraint for more adoption. Does that change if we denominate Bitcoin in sats? I want to hear your thoughts on that. I don't think so. You don't think do you think unit bias is that is a real thing right now? Is this is this why you see shit coins jump up to enormous valuations because they have ten trillion of them? Those
1: things don't last though, right? People don't buy and hold those things for long periods of time. Like every one of those charts, I don't know which way I'm mirrored, but it's like boom, and then it's just like this slow bleed forever and never goes up again. So I don't think it really matters if you have trillions of coins that are worth like a fraction of a penny things don't have lasting value. That's not smart money going after that. It's just dumb people and traders. So it doesn't really matter. I don't think you need dumb people buying Bitcoin. It really doesn't matter. Like you're not going to have much money. Almost by definition, if like you're, if you're a mark for Shiba Inu, almost by definition, you don't have very much money and very much intelligence. So I just don't think it matters. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that like it's a monetary network, right? So what you need is lots of value to be stored in Bitcoin. And so, you know, a uh, thousand people putting a hundred dollars each, it's a hundred thousand bucks, is not worth nearly as much as one person putting a million dollars in mm-hmm. to, the, to Bitcoin as store of value.
0: Right. Yes, as a store of value. So right. I, I see the two types of markets developing, one where on Bitcoin, you're right, you need, you need the money, you need the capital. You want the richest people in the world to put all their money in, you don't really care that everyone's putting in 10 bucks, but on the other side, I do. I care. I care.
1: I care that people, yeah, no, and I I know where you're getting to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, so I wasn't saying that adoption depends on, it's actually the opposite. So the the cause is adoption and the effect is price rises.
0: Mm. Yeah. And now is it adoption though of people or adoption of money? Because if you're talking it's, about lightning, it's, it's both. Different than they're people. related. It's right. both.
1: They're they're related because if you bring you know a hundred people in, a couple of them are millionaires, and a couple of them come into money, you don't know who that's going to be. So you need them all in. Mm-hmm. You know, and we think about that at Swan. Like, you know, people that that use your company get to know your services and your products and your people and like them you know, they recommend, that's what people are, we're, we're recommendation beasts when we like something and we, we use a service, we generally tell other people about it. And so, you know, we consider every single customer of Swan, like an extension of our evangelism team. And so I don't care, like if you buy 10 bucks a month, that's great. We're going to serve you like crazy and hope that you have a rich auntie
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) that
1: you tell about Swan.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Okay, I got a question about, um, well, I'll just frame it this way. If you were to get up in front of every Bitcoiner in the world today, and you could share one message with them about Bitcoin, what Mm -hmm. is that message?
1: The more you know, the more you buy. (laughs) So you have to to invest equally in in learning about Bitcoin and Bitcoin, the
0: asset. I like that. Now, if you were to get up in front of a group of non-Bitcoiners, um, what would that message be? Same message. And it would just be, get started learning? Get started
1: learning, yeah. yeah. Go to swan.com slash free book, grab a free copy of my favorite intro to the subject, which is Jan Pritzker's book, Inventing Bitcoin. Grab an ebook or an audio book. We've given away probably 200,000 copies of that in the
0: last couple of years. Mm-hmm. What's the hardest part about educating people about Bitcoin? I think
1: it's probably meeting people where they are and kind of figuring out ways to do that at scale. So it's trying to figure out, you know, what somebody is going to respond to and giving them more content that is uh, going to be received uh, and, you know, get opened, let's say, if it's email or or get watched if it's on YouTube and, and trying to create these different personae or, or profiles of people and, and talk to them in a way that uh, that resonates with them. Because the way you talk about Bitcoin to like a yoga teacher versus a physicist versus, you know, a uh, Ukrainian refugee, you know, it's it's different. Right. So I think that's that's some of the most interesting stuff is, is basically just trying to And we kind of approach it through kind of a a theory of Bitcoin and so Bitcoin and blank and then just you have an affinity for this or you're from this group. And we try to create content around like, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin and doctors or we've got this, you know, Bitcoin and Harley tour coming up. And there's a whole thing around like, you know, independence, America, freedom, uh, don't tread on me. And that all kind of fits for for that audience. And then there's, you know finance people and there's a way to talk to them about portfolio construction and sharp ratios and you know tail risks and all those kinds of things and risk risk on and risk off and you know you can you can kind of talk to people in different ways and and doing that well and scaling that through technology media and and smart staff um it's a heck of an undertaking
0: mm-hmm uh-huh. Yeah, it's very, it's got to be personalized. You got to target so many different people who may have very different backgrounds. Is it, is, are you noticing that with the recent rise in inflation, is this becoming a central point that a lot of people from different backgrounds can congregate around and understand? Is that like becoming a focal point for you guys? Are you recognizing that as as a strong selling point for people who are not Bitcoiners? Or is that just kind of a... Is that still just like a thing that Bitcoiners focus on and most people haven't quite realized yet?
1: You'd think people would be even more worried than they are. It does kind of blow my mind that, but, you know, they're so used to believing what they read and see on TV and the messaging is still like, it's not going to be this bad for long. This is just post COVID inflation, the economy coming back. Wait for the next year's numbers to lap and we'll see what's going on. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I think the alarm bells are going off all around us. It's red flag time. And uh, yeah, a lot of people still seem to have their heads stuck in the sand. It's kind of interesting. But, uh, you know, the people that are awake to it, you know, they're getting our education and watching our shows and seeing our people on on other platforms and obviously we're writing about it and talking about it all the time um, so yeah I think I think people that have their eyes open to inflation and what it means I think um, you know anybody that lived through the 70s it seems like uh, a lot of the boomers and the older Gen X people uh, kind of have their eyes open a little bit to what's going on because it does kind of rhyme with that um, but yeah, it is. It is kind of surprising to me that it's not everywhere all the time. And I think maybe it's just bigger stories. You know, COVID for a year and a half, and then or two years, and then straight into Russia-Ukraine for the last month and a half. Uh, you know, it seems like it seems like there's a lot of distraction out there that doesn't make the rampant inflation and. And rents up twenty four percent year over year across the US and you know, six dollar and seventy nine cent gas at my station down the street. <laughs> <laughs> like that's not yeah. the headline story,
0: and it should be. It would be in any normal time. How much worse does it have to get for it to become the headline story? Uh
1: I mean I wish that it wouldn't get worse, but it's gonna. Mm so yeah i don't know <laughs> i'm not a prepper but preppers don't look crazy to me anymore right yeah and <laughs> i'm preparing in my own way anyway i'm preparing with bitcoin
0: mm-hmm. is there any other way to if you got your bitcoin and you your, you you figure you you have this kind of financial assurance that you're not going to get your money inflated away um is there any other protection or, or system you try and you try and teach people about to prepare for what could be on the horizon. And that could span beyond just inflation. I don't I don't know what the answer is there, but um, is Bitcoin enough or can you can you are there other steps you should be taking to I think
1: I mean, for me, I think like location and where you and your family live in what situation is probably the most important one um, mm. outside of or maybe just alongside securing your, your financial situation. And that's different for everybody. You know, people are comfortable in different places, but you got to kind of like find your tribe and find what you're comfortable with and, you know, try to give yourself a little bit of peace and space, you know, mentally and emotionally by being comfortable with where you are.
0: Right. Um,
1: you know, where you're going to raise your kids, who you're going to be around. I think that's something that's really important to get right. And I think we can be lazy about it because we live our lives online and it seems like you're just connected by computer. But like pay attention to what's outside, you know, downstairs when you when you go out of your building in a big city, like pay attention to what's there and look at the stores and the people around you, where you live, you know, wherever it is. And, you know, take this take this opportunity, this this disruption that we've had the last couple of years to reevaluate a little bit, like where you want to be
0: Mm. and who
1: you want to be around and. You know, I think uh, maybe being around family is more important than it's ever been before. That's one thing that I think if I were in my 20s now, I would probably give extra weight to that. Whereas, you know, my family was always on the West Coast and I spent my 20s and 30s in New York and Chicago. I would probably have, you know, come back to California or Seattle or something like that, like way, way earlier, if I were looking at the world the way it looks today.
0: Interesting. Do you think that um, governments are- I'm a are, long-term are optimist, to-
1: by the way. I'm like a dramatic, off-the-charts, like <laughs> feet-not-tethered-to-the-ground yeah. optimist long-term. It's just, um, you know, this, this conflict uh, with Russia just pulled a lot of things forward and compressed the timeline dramatically. Yeah. And I think we're heading into, like, really turbulent times for the next three, four years globally.
0: And I mean, COVID did the same thing, I think, right? Like, like we've had a lot of events here that have that we just don't have much uh, much precedent for. And um, yeah, there's there's a, there are a lot of unknowns for sure. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of
1: precedent for both of them. I mean, the Spanish flu was worse than COVID uh, well, in mean, terms not of many deaths of or... and economic effect. Well, but I mean, that's what reading is for, right? So there there yeah. is precedent. It's not that long ago. It's hundred years ago, and there's plenty of precedent for like what happens when you know, globalization goes the other direction and we kind of de-globalize. And when there's a conflict, uh, in Europe, what does that do to the world? Right. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So, but some of the other events like working from home is kind of a first big, you know, that was the first moment where we haven't really turned everyone off from office jobs in an instant. And we're kind of seeing what those impacts are going to be.
1: Well, I, I will say this just about the, um, I mean, the the Russia-Ukraine conflict, I think, will have uh, dramatically more effect on the world than COVID
0: did. What do you think the effect will be?
1: Uh, Just massive acceleration of deglobalization, Um, I think disintegration of a number of sort of norms and global institutions that we have been used to for our entire lives, if you were born after World War II. a lot of hungry people in a lot of countries around the world hmm. uh, probably revolting against their governments, like Arab Spring times 10.
0: Is that just, re- you think that's a second order effect of the uh, fertilizers and like not being able to get natural gas and, and oil out of Russia? Is that is that kind of the... the yeah, China it's the there?
1: agricultural products is the big thing there for sure. Yeah. and And, you know, this whole thing is You know, it's bad for everybody, it's less bad for the US, and it's probably worst other than for the combatants, Russia and Ukraine, it's probably worst for China.
0: How so? I'm curious to know what your thoughts are there.
1: Um, Because they rely on imports for almost everything, and everybody's kind of shutting down and and saying we're keeping our stuff for ourselves, and so it's going to get harder and harder for them to go and get things from other people. and most of, most of the deficit in Russian production, you know, you've got some people that think, oh, China's just gonna pick it up, but they can't. The, pl- the pipelines all flow west, mm. they don't go east. The only oil and gas that China gets is the stuff from like the eastern end of Russia. And that's all serviced by Western firms that have pulled out. So even though the oil and gas are like flowing today still, uh, the second you need some expertise or a part uh, for any of those, oil fields and and gas pipelines and everything in the Eastern part of Russia. Like it's just not going to get repaired and it's just basically going to come offline. So Hmm. China's facing like a massive, uh, fossil fuel shortage over the next few years. Interesting. Um, and an agricultural product shortage and I mean, everything like they basically like China had to thread like nine needles in a row to even exist in a deglobalized world and that's what they were trying to do as fast as possible with One Belt One Road and and all these other things and stadium diplomacy in Africa and all that kind of stuff and like it's just they didn't make it so, <laughs> so hmm. that's going to be the biggest story I think geopolitically over the next 20-30 years is how everyone that forecast the rise of China and a supposed eclipse of, of the United States is like Sort of the, the unipolar, um, you know, global hegemon are going to be proven dramatically wrong as China shrinks really and turns inward, and basically, unfortunately, has hundreds of millions of starving people.
0: Well, that's a that's a new perspective. I haven't heard that one uh, before. I really appreciate that. Um, I wonder what you think about other governments that are. I, I'm specifically thinking about smaller governments, like you look at El Salvador, who's embracing Bitcoin, embracing change, embracing this kind of like moving forward towards looking towards the future. Um, And they have a small enough footprint that they're nimble enough and they can probably kind of make it work. What Mm -hmm. do you think about their position in the global economy? And can other nations also step in and use Bitcoin as a tool to elevate their status among uh, governments around the world? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it could be it could be
1: Bitcoin. It could also just be, you know, setting up an economic zone and, you know, attracting capital with low taxes and, you know, putting in some tech infrastructure, that kind of stuff. Like there's a lot of different things you can do. Bitcoin is obviously working for El Salvador with their increased tourism budget and entrepreneurs moving there and opening businesses and capital flowing in. I mean, it's it's a country of six million people, I think. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah so it's like, you know, half the size of LA County. Like, obviously, if if you get a good mayor in Los Angeles and cut a few taxes, like the economy takes off here. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is double the size of El Salvador. So if you get a business friendly president who makes some smart decisions and cuts some deals with, you know, the people they need to cut deals with and attracts entrepreneurship and investment, obviously it can change things dramatically. Uh, And there are a lot of places around the world, municipalities, cantons in Switzerland, you know, little country states like Malta and little like city states like Malta and Liechtenstein and some of these smaller places, like they can do, they can do things that change, you know, the GDP and the quality of life dramatically in a short amount of time, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it's super exciting. I love the experimentation. I hope we see it a lot more at sort of the state and city level throughout the U S as well, you know, experimenting with these different models. I think we're going to see as the world kind of de globalizes, and I think all the splintering of the US the the flip side of sort of the last 20 years of what's looked like uh, fragmenting of the American sort of uh, polite public discourse, as it sort of seemed more fractionalized and we end up in our filter bubbles and everything. It's interesting because the, the good effect of that is probably a lot more comfort with going your own way at the local level. And so I think you can see a like sort of a defederalization and sort of a decentralization of power within the American system and a lot more experimentation like I'd love to see, you know, 30 counties try this thing and 100 country counties try that thing and six states try this thing and, you know, and let you kind of pick and choose where you want to set up businesses, where you want to live and kind of what you want to do. That's kind of the power. That's the power of having 50 states.
0: Is mm-hmm. that experimentation? And do you think now that now that we have um, what well, seems like more freedom to to move around uh, and, and I guess um, lower switching costs for workers, mm-hmm. you can kind of like move between cities and states more freely as as work kind of transitions to online. Do you yep. think that is a catalyst then that can that these governments can use to? Introduce new experiments and new business zones and new tax cuts yeah. and and add in Bitcoin as a you know a balance sheet um, yeah. to like strengthen their balance sheet like yeah what do you
1: think yeah about I think that? I mean I mean first of all the uh, being able to have healthcare without an employer say what you like or don't like philosophically about you know <laughs> single power healthcare or what is it the uh, ACA the Obama administration pushed through but like that's been dramatically good for small businesses and small business owners and entrepreneurs being able to still have health care without having to be an employee Um, so that was I mean I think we're still seeing an unlock of productivity and creativity and entrepreneurship just because people can get insurance and you know you can have like a wife with cancer and still be able to get insurance like that I think say what you like about wanting health care to be a free market but the good thing is that you know, people can take on a lot more risk because they're not just hamstrung by employer-provided health care. Um, and then you've got this remote work thing where people uh, don't need to meet in person anymore. You can, People are so used to closing big deals and signing up for services online now without having to meet somebody in person. That means you really can just pick up and live in Coeur d'Alene or you know, lake country up in Minnesota, or, you know, maybe you just love the Florida Keys and, you know, want to be in Margaritaville every night, but you can roll out your laptop during the day, just enough to get some design work done, you know, like you can do that. I think it's just fascinating. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a great time for that. I was just actually talking this morning. Um, one of my, my wife's best friends out here is, uh, an actor and, um, and she, has thank God switched over from retail as the way that she supports and kind of gets to auditions and does that whole thing to working in marketing, uh, you know, from her laptop. And she works for like companies in San Diego and Orange County, and you know she can do it on her own time. She can miss you know six hours from twelve to six to go to a couple auditions and then you know work from six p.m. to midnight, and that's totally normal now. And she can get paid like a normal, you know middle management senior management type salary while still being flexible enough to continue pursuing her acting and that's true of so many people that want to pursue you know coaching basketball we've got we've got somebody on our customer service team who's like a a high school coach in a midwestern state and you know he does customer service stuff in the morning and then after he gets his kids to bed he does like a couple more hours of cleanup at night but like the whole middle of his day is doing his passion love it
0: do you think that we're gonna see, we've already seen in the last couple of years, a decent amount of migration in within the U.S., between different cities, also outside of the U.S., internationally. Um, do you think we see more migration in the next, in the coming couple of years than the last two? Or do you think we kind of like revert towards the mean and get back to a normal?
1: Yeah, I think we're at mean reversion time, probably. Yeah, Yeah. interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, if if you move, I mean, like if you move to Austin after 2019, you bought the top. <laughs> you know, like it's not that much different. Than San Francisco, there's plenty of bums and the traffic sucks. Um, it is awesome that there's a high density of bitcoiners, though. So I mean, that that is that is a huge bonus, and I got a lot of friends out there. Um, but yeah, I think again, you just got to go like where you're comfortable. You know, like yeah. we've got people, we've got people in like Idaho and Montana, but we got people in Manhattan and Mm. i live i live in the burbs of los angeles because i like the weather it's the only warm dry coastline in the history you know of the most powerful nation in history like that's maybe it's worth the sunshine tax i could go without some of the policies around here but uh you know it's sunny right now
0: i like it yeah (laughs) can't beat it all right i want want to transition to um, some of the work you're doing with Bitcoin startups. You've been an investor for a long time. You're uh, working at El Zante Capital as well in El Salvador. Yep. Can you talk to me a bit about how that works and the kind of the investing strategy there?
1: Yeah, sure. So I've, you know, I've invested in over 50 companies in the last decade, um, probably a dozen Bitcoin startups over the last three or four. Uh, I started the Bitcoiner Ventures uh, Syndicate on AngelList. Uh, about two years ago. and so My partners are Jan Pritzker, Louis Liu, and Stefan Lavera. Um, we've done seven deals there into great startups like uh, Impervious and Zion, Bitrefill, Unchained Capital, Galois. Uh, there's two more. Anyway, uh, Revolt, and now there's one more. Anyway, um, and then I'm an advisor to the Bitcoin Venture Fund out of Trammel Venture Partners. Uh, which was like the lead investor in Voltage and, and uh, Impervious as well. Um, so that's Chris Calicott and that team, Matt Snow. Um, and then recently, actually just last month, started uh, El Zonte Capital with Max Kaiser and Stacey Herbert. Uh, they have a lot of time on their hands after canceling their contract with the Associated Press, which was the, the producer of their uh, Kaiser report on Russia Today, which is or I guess it was RT America or something. But anyway, that's kind of off the air now uh, after 13 years. And so they got a lot of time and they've been spending a ton of time in El Salvador and they know everybody. And, um, you know, that one is really, uh, it really is about promoting and helping uh, like layer two and and coming layer three uh, Bitcoin ecosystem startups. So it really is interesting for me because, you know, with one hat, I'm sitting here at Swan looking at like I think at least another 10, 15 years of sustainable margin, promoting Bitcoin as a store of value. Uh, But I get to have like early looks at all these startups uh, working on medium of exchange and we get to look for partnerships for Swan and I get to allocate capital to those. And, you know, in case medium of exchange takes off like way faster, you know, at least I personally have a stake in some of these startups that are that are doing more medium of exchange and kind of
0: that kind of work. No so is, is El Alta capital focused specifically on investing in startups in El Salvador do you think that will be a, a hub for lightning startups over time? Where do you think about El Salvador as a kind of economic zone when it comes to lightning yeah I mean it's it's interesting it's not it's
1: definitely not an exclusive thesis or mandate that the companies have to be in El Salvador uh, I think it's more of a um, the types of things that El Salvador needs and wants and the types of companies that are looking at El Salvador uh, are the types of companies that we're looking at. Their first market could easily be South Africa or Nigeria or, or somewhere else or even, you know, something in the US. But it would be something that would be, you know, more focused on this Bitcoin as medium of exchange. Bitcoin as like a better monetary technology that enables things that we weren't able to do like value for value podcasting or streaming sats and games and those kinds of things. So I think it's just looking for more, you know, it's a little bit more of, you know, wrapping, bringing this all the way back around to how we started. Like I came into this space confused thinking that it was like 85% technology and 15% money. It turns out that it's not, it's actually like 85% money and like 15% technology and my whole company, my whole life ever since has been focused on Bitcoin as money, but it's not a dumb rock, Uh right? It's a monetary network and it is programmable money. And that 15% of where we are today, that may expand. We may someday, you know, 50 years from now, look at it and say, listen, it's about equally important that Bitcoin is money and that Bitcoin is technology.
0: Mm, interesting. You so, know, so it's the you, Internet of
1: Money. They're both. They're both in there. It's money and technology.
0: Right. Do you have any frameworks you like to use for thinking about how to value some of these companies, uh, especially at an early stage when we're talking about medium of exchange and lightning companies? Mm. How do you think about what that addressable market might look like, what those margins might look like, and whether or not it's a good investment?
1: Mm, I mean. When you're talking about a seed fund and you're doing like pre-seed deals and seed deals and maybe chipping in on an A round, you're mostly betting on team. You already believe in the size of the market. You already believe in the timing. And so if they have like a product that makes sense and a good team, that's, that's the two that are left over. But, you know, almost by definition, if you're working on something in Bitcoin, you know, the market and the timing are right. That's why it's a hot industry. Right. Interesting. So you just got to look at you just I'm just looking at team and product. That's it.
0: Hmm. I I know we're running out of time, um, but I want to I want to get some I want to hear some predictions for the future of uh, both Bitcoin and the Lightning Network at large. Um, First, I'll ask, do you have any kind of controversial views that you you think are right but are not uh, widely believed or widely promoted in the Bitcoin ecosystem?
1: Well, you had to add in the Bitcoin ecosystem, because basically (laughs) all of my views are not widely held globally. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to try to be contrarian. I'll just, you know, I'll say that I think uh, I, I plan my personal finances, family finances and company finances sort of with a expectation that there's a 90% chance we have sat cent parity before the end of the decade. So million dollars a coin by 2030, I think there's like a 90% chance. There's also a good chance it's like higher that than definition. that, but I, I should say like, I think there's only about a 10% chance that we don't hit a million dollars before then. Um, I've also said quite a bit, and I feel pretty confident that you'll be able to buy, you'll be able to pay for most goods and services around the world denominated in Satoshis by 2035.
0: Hmm. So I think we'll actually be like
1: that far, that far along with medium of exchange that we're already pretty advanced on unit of account.
0: Yeah. What do you think the first app for, what do you think the first Bitcoin app will be that gets a billion users?
1: Um, that's a good question. You don't know. I mean, I think it'll just be paying for things on the internet. That's all. Like, it's just internet money. I think that's, you know, it, it'll be a lot of companies that add up to that billion dollars. Right. Yeah. Or that billion, that billion users, but it's just, just paying for things. It's money. That's yeah. the, the natural application. You're just paying for things.
0: Okay. Very cool. Um, thank you so much for taking the time today. I learned a lot. A lot of really interesting perspectives that I haven't heard much of uh, from from other guests. So I appreciate that. And uh, before we go, where can people go to learn more about you and the work you're doing? Uh,
1: Let's see. Swan.com. I'm Cory Clipston on Twitter, Uh, C-O-R-Y-K-L-I-P-P-S-T-E-N. You should definitely check out the Bitcoin Canon, which is swan.com slash Canon, C-A-N-O-N. Um, And that's where you can basically go down any sort of Bitcoin rabbit hole. So it's topical, like Lynn Alden put together a list of resources about Bitcoin and energy, or Guy Swan doing like a a Bitcoin 101, or Des Dickerson doing like Bitcoin and gaming, Brecky doing Bitcoin and art. And you can kind of just go really deep on different subjects related to Bitcoin. That's pretty cool. Um, And then I have a, a daily newsletter called the Daily Bitcoiner which is at corey.substack.com, and that one is free, and it's just one of the best pieces of educational content from the last 12 years of Bitcoin each day. So one podcast episode, one YouTube video, one tweet storm, one blog post. Uh, we've basically gone through and compiled the top thousand uh, individual pieces of Bitcoin content. And yes, you can submit pieces that are new that you think deserve uh, to be qualified, and we'll take a look. Um, But yeah, people are absolutely loving that and the the sub list is growing really fast and I think people really appreciate getting that in there and it's really easy to forward and share with friends and family and stuff like that. So it's a good resource. That's a very cool idea. Uh,
0: Well, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime soon.
1: All right. Sounds good. Thank you.
0: Welcome to the lightning round presented by Voltage, the industry standard for lightning network infrastructure. Creating layer two applications and services on Bitcoin starts with Voltage, where you can spin up nodes, get access to liquidity, optimize your node, and much more. Voltage is leading the way as the next generation platform for Lightning, and if you wanna check them out, you can get a free trial at voltage.cloud. Lightning round, here we go. In the last seven days, you guys sent in 12,220 sats, 12 different supporters sent in 13 different messages, before we get into those messages, a quick rundown of the top five supporters. We have Niall, who sent in 2,756 sats. Y sent in 2,470. BTC BTCreg sent in 2,254. Stemar42 sent in 1,648. And an anonymous user sent in 980 sats. Now, let's get into the messages, but before we do that, uh, just so everyone knows, these messages are all part of Fountain's latest cross-app comments feature. So you guys should be able to see these messages, most of them, any, any ones that are public, um, will be able to sh- you'll be able to see them on my podcast feed. So if you go to the episode on Fountain or any other podcasting 2.0 app that supports the cross-app comments spec, you're gonna be able to see all these messages. They're gonna be ranked by the number of sats sent along with them. So if there's multiple comments on a show, you wanna get your comment to the top, you gotta send in more sats than the previous uh, highest post. Um, Real quick now, let's get into the messages. BTC Rich sends in a message on episode 33 with Pierre Rochard, which is quickly becoming one of the most popular episodes. Uh, And BTC Rich says, amazing news hearing about Kraken. I agree, Kraken is on fire right now. They have now one of the top 10 nodes on the Lightning Network. And uh, it was just kind of hinted on Twitter a couple days ago that BitGo is actually working on their own Lightning Network integration in the wake of this Kraken launch. So it seems like this movement is really picking up steam and Kraken's step up is starting to be noticed among other exchanges and custodians. We'll see how far this goes, but good signs early on. J24 sends in 343 sats, it says, your show is currently my favorite podcast. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, J24, for the kind words and the sats. Um, really appreciate it. We're cranking out lots of content. If you guys have any uh, interesting guests you'd like to have appear on the show, anyone I should reach out to, fire away a comment um, over the Lightning Network and I will see it and I will hopefully be able to reach out to that person and set up a uh, an interview. We had a few test transactions come in from Mary Oscar, must still be working on some cool stuff over at Fountain. Uh, and then we had a few, Niall sends in a, a comment that says nice in response to Pierre Rochard's episode. And we had uh, an anonymous user sending a message that says boost in response to episode 23 with Adam Curry, which is the most popular episode of all of them so far. Um, so, TBD on who's going to dethrone Adam Curry as the most popular episode over time but right now Adam is in the lead. Um, thank you guys for sending in comments and questions. Hope you enjoyed this show. Let me know what you think. Send in a comment, send in a question, send in some sats and I will see you in a few days.